Amen. I don't know if y'all have known me long enough yet to get excited about the fact that I only have one sheet of paper with my notes on it this morning. <clears throat> I can honestly say it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, uh, we will try not to be too long this morning. We're going to, uh, we're going to go back, we're going to finish up. I wasn't sure we we're going to do this, but the Lord kind of took me back to this this week. Uh, we want to go back and finish up our, our sermon on how to help your church grow. It's actually two parts to it. And uh, we focused on that little acrostic grow, and we didn't really cover the gifts, and uh, just talking, you know, and praying and, and seeking the Lord this week just felt like we need to go back to that. So the sermon this morning is how to help your church grow part two, okay? And uh, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 last time. We're going to look at Romans 12 this morning, and uh, we're going to think about this matter of spiritual gifts a little bit more. Um, this has been some great singing, the song selection this morning, thinking about being free, being a child of God, and not being an orphan anymore, and just being a part of the family. Uh, the, old, the, the longer I live, the older I get, the more I preach, the more convinced I am that you cannot make it through this world and make it through this life with any kind of significant joy or blessing unless you are a committed member of the family of God. And, and now, I didn't say a, family, a member of the family that needs to be committed, all right? I said a committed member of the family of God. When you understand what it means to be a child of God, to have an unnumberable, I think I said that right, an unnumberable amount of brothers and sisters in Christ that are surrounding the globe. That, that when you become a child of God, you don't just become a singular son or daughter of the Father, but you become a part of the largest family that this world has and will ever know. And, and, and when you realize what it means to be a part of the family of God, when you realize what it means, if we ever can, can wrap our mind around the fact that the reality is, and, and, and sadly this isn't the case in a lot of churches and a lot of Christians' lives today, but the reality is no child of God, first of all, no child of God is ever going to go through any crisis, any struggle alone because your father is always going to be there for you. Amen. But, but, but And this is what we need to work on in the church. We should be there for each other. Amen? There are just certain ministries that every church needs to have, and, and, and those ministries are going to express themselves in different ways, but every church needs to have some way of ministering to the family of God. Uh, and, and some churches use a strong deacons program. Some use elders, elders and deacons. Uh, they have different ministries. If, if you're not an elder or deacon, you could be a, a hospitality ministry. You have visitation teams. Uh, here you have the care uh, uh, team, and we'll be meeting this Thursday again. Uh, just whatever, whatever it takes, whatever, however it expresses itself, every church has to have something in place whereby we can love each other with the love of Christ. And know that we are loved with the love of Christ. Amen? And, 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 and I just don't understand how anybody can make it through this world. Number one, without God. Well, the reality is you won't. <laughs> you can't. But I don't understand how those who professed faith in Christ 
how we can so easily sometimes separate ourselves from a local fellowship of believers, a local body of Christ, our brothers and sisters, how we can do that so easily sometimes and and expect to be blessed by God. Uh, Dysfunctional family, all right, is not a term that should really be used with any regularity when you're talking about the body of Christ. Amen? You, you and I aren't always going to get along, and, 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 and there are going to be things we're going to disagree on, have differences on theology and practically. But those differences are never an excuse for not loving each other and ministering to each other the way the Bible commands us to. Amen? And, and, and we've said this in recent weeks, and you'll hear this, you'll hear this a lot in coming months as we go through this time of transition. You're going to hear a lot from me to try and encourage us to reclaim this beauty, this glory, this power, this wonderful thing that is uh, being a part of the body of Christ. And because when, when a local church is becoming everything that God wants that church to be, then what God can and will do in that community is just beyond our wildest dreams and expectations. But I can't stress this enough. As the church goes, so goes the community. And as a community goes, so goes the state. And as the states go, so goes the nation. You want to know why the nation, our nation, is in the condition it's in right now? Just follow that back all the way down and look at the state of your typical local church in the United States of America today. And I want to get stuck on that because if I do, I might get political and then we, we, just, we can't love each other when we do that, right? Amen. <laughs> but I want us to think about spiritual gifts and I want to say again to you what I said before in that last sermon. For those of you that weren't here, we talked about how to help your church grow. Talk about how important it is for you to know your spiritual gift because that's what you're going to contribute. That's what God has uniquely and specifically given you to contribute to the body of Christ. Not just in a local fellowship like this, but worldwide. Amen? And, and if you'll let God, he'll use you in ways you've never, you've never thought of before. So I'll do this real quick. Uh, how, many of you, uh, how many of you here have ever taken a mission trip? A mission trip. Raise your hands. How many of you have taken a mission trip? Raise them a pie where I can see them. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. How many of you, let's do it this way. How many of you take those mission trips have been outside of the United States? Raise your hands. Outside the United States. Okay. So, all right. So, some of you taken about half. It looks like half of you that took mission trips were inside the United States and, and the rest of you outside the United States. Just so I can make sure that some of you aren't just not wanting to raise your hand. How many of you have never taken a mission trip? Raise your hand. Raise them up high. Okay, good. All right. So, all right. So, nobody's scared this morning. The preacher's not trying to trick you. Amen. If you've never taken a mission trip, I'll tell you what I tell everybody and what I've said in all my churches. You can't say this enough. If you've never taken a mission trip, just pray and ask God if he'll let you to give you the opportunity to take a mission trip wherever he wants you to go because this is what I have learned and I've yet to find this, I've yet to find this to be untrue. Anyone who takes a mission trip never comes back the same way. If you've ever taken a mission trip, when you, and especially, especially if you do get outside the United States, but I'm going to tell you, I had, a team, I, I had a team that took a mission trip, and uh, I had a team that took a mission trip to Tennessee and to West Virginia in two of my churches. And, uh, and, and we came back to our little, our little community here in Georgia, 
And I could not, I just, I, I was amazed at how many people just kept talking about how they were totally unaware that even within our own country, just how much evil there is and how much hatred there is and how much poverty there is and how much need there is and how desperately in the United States of America there are still people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've forgotten because we're, we're the United States of America. We're supposed to be God's nation, you know, depending on who you talk to. And um, uh, the United States of America, we've been blessed by God. And, 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 and everybody's heard the gospel and everybody knows Jesus. But the reality is in this country, it's becoming much too easy to find someone who's never heard the name of Christ, never heard a gospel message, maybe never even cracked open a Bible and read a single verse. And beloved, as the days grow nearer to the return of Christ, our work, our work is going to be needed more and more, and we're going to have to be more committed more and more than we've ever been. Amen? Now, I say all that to, to lead into this message to say this, to be a committed member of the body of Christ means that I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that even though within any local fellowship like this one, there are going to be times when uh, uh, you're going to disagree with the Sunday school teacher or the Sunday school program. There are going to be times when you'll disagree with the deacons and the leadership of the church. There are going to be times when you're going di- to disagree with the pastor. There are going to be times when, when, when we're going to disagree with ministries and, and how we do things. The one thing that we can never do is reach the point where we just decide that, that there's just so much controversy in the body of Christ and so much division and so much struggle that we don't need the church anymore. And beloved, I can't tell you, and, 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 I, and I don't always, I, I understand that as Christians we're supposed to be gracious and merciful, and I don't always have the gift of mercy. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's just times as a pastor when one of the things that I really need a supernatural touch from God to be able to do is to choose my words carefully. When I find myself sitting across the desk from someone who's come to me for counseling and they're struggling with something in their life and this person I'm talking to used to go to church but somehow or another they walked away from God and now now not only has their life gone into chaos but they're sitting across the desk from me and they're trying to convince me that God is the cause of all their problems. The one who never left them somehow is to blame for the struggles in their life. Uh, Count on this, beloved. A preacher said this once, and we'll jump into the message. Every Christian, every Christian is either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. Amen? And you know who you need to have with you wherever you are, before, during, or after the storm? is you need to have the one who can walk on the wind, uh, walk on the water, amen? Walk on the waves, the one who can command the winds and the waves and, and stop the storm, the one who can give peace, the one who can look at you while you're in the boat being tossed by the waves and say, step out onto the water and walk with me, amen? There's never, just because you've trusted Christ, beloved, just because we know he's our Savior and our Lord does not mean that we need him less now that we're saved. We need him more than ever. And I think I said this to you before. If you thought the devil was your enemy before, boy, he's really your enemy now. So let's look at, let's look at Romans chapter 12. 
And I say all that, and, and we're going to we're gonna get to one point, and, and, and you're going to see why I'm saying all this, because I'm going to make one statement towards the end, and it's hopefully going to pull all this together and help us to understand. But Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and I want to read some of these verses. In 1 Corinthians 12, that's the chapter that really explains what the body of Christ is. We all have a part to play. We all have a different role. Okay, the eyes, the ears, the hearing, the, the hands, the feet. You, we all play a different part. And, and not just in a local congregation, but every local congregation plays a part in the larger body of Christ with other congregations. No Christian lives in isolation. No church should exist in isolation. Amen. We're part of uh, we're, this is the First Baptist Church of Mableton, the Southern Baptist Church, we're part of the West Metro Baptist Association. What is that? That's an association of churches, churches that have agreed to come together to associate with each other to do ministry. And then in the larger context of that, the associations ministering with other associations, and then those associations ministering within a denomination, and when possible, even one denomination working with another denomination to do the work that God has called us to do. Amen? The ba you know, Baptists, Methodists, well, we're Baptists, they're Methodists, we can't work together with them. Why not? You know how many Methodists I've met that, that, that know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Being a Methodist or a Baptist isn't what makes you saved. Trusting Christ is what makes you a child of God. Amen? And I had a pastor friend of mine in my, uh, I think it was my second church, it was my third church, and he, was, he had the Methodist uh, church there. And, uh, and, and he, uh, he and I became friends. We just went out to lunch and we just sort of, we would share. And we were sitting around at lunch and we were joking one day. And we were talking about the fact, you know, that Methodists, they don't baptize like Baptists. But we call Baptists for a week. We immerse, we dunk you, we put you under, amen? You know, and the Methodists, they sprinkle, right? And, and we were just joking about that one time. And I said, you know, every, I said, I think denominations are man-made, but I think God is sovereign over that. I think, I think these denominations are for a reason. And I just had to look at him. I said, you know, I think that, that the Methodist church exists for people who are afraid of water. <laughs> and of course, he just busted out laughing. And that was the kind of relationship we had. And by the way, you may not know this, but he, and this has been years ago, but at that time, Methodists were transitioning so that you actually have Methodists. Some of the Methodist churches now, they actually dunk. You didn't know that, did you? Nothing in the Bible that says you're saved based on whether or not you were dunked or sprinkled. You're saved, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And you can have two pastors, two churches, or more, different denominations working together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That scares some of you a little bit. I'm Baptist. I don't know if I like that. The devil doesn't like it either. Amen? <laughs> the devil doesn't like it when God's people work together. Amen? So just be careful with that. And, and that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm Baptist. Amen? I'm Baptist for a reason. Old preacher said, I'm Baptist born. And Baptist bread, when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Amen. But, but I'm Baptist for a reason. But Romans chapter 12, you there? Let's take a look at this quickly. You're familiar with verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And, 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 and there's two things in that verse, the measure of faith. Number one, every man the measure of faith. He's given every man the ability to believe. 
Your ability to believe is not more or less than anybody else's ability to believe. But not only that, when you believe, he gives you different faith or greater faith. So on the one hand, everyone who trusts Christ, trusts Christ with the same faith. You have to deny yourself, deny your sin, realize you're bound for health, and put your faith in the Christ who died on the cross and shed his blood for your sin so you could be a child of God. And that doesn't change for anybody. Amen. We are all saved the same way. And then once you become a child of God, and you know this, as you grow in the Word, and as you grow, and as you follow God, and serve God, and use the gifts He's given you, your faith will grow. So that you know there are people in the church who are just as saved as you are, but they have greater faith than you do, hopefully because they've been walking with God longer. Did you get that? You should not have less faith in God the longer you're a Christian. You should have more faith in God. And so, and so Paul writes, and he says, as God has given to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, Or he that exhorts on exhortation, or he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not the high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Boy, verse 16 is powerful. I don't want to get stuck on that. But the bottom line when Paul is writing here, what the Holy Spirit is saying, what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what God is saying through Paul, mind not high things but condescend to men of low estate, is he's saying you will never be any better a Christian. You will never minister any more as a Christian than when you are ministering to the lowliest person in humanity, however you define that. In other words, if there's anyone you think that is beneath you, You have just limited significantly the power and the blessing of God in your life. Amen? So he's talking about this and he's using strong terms. And and, and I love the verse back up. They're showing mercy with cheerfulness. (laughs) And and, and then love each other with kindly affection and brotherly love. Love each other, but act like you you really mean it when you love each other. Don't say I love you, you know, with with an ugly look. I love you. Yeah, I guess I love you. I have to. The Bible commands me to. No, love because there's no greater joy than to live in love and to be loved. Amen. See, what Paul is writing to the church here is he's saying these ideas we have and the divisions and the way we let the flesh get hold of us and, and the way we've learned to interact with each other in the world runs totally contradictory to the way that the Holy Spirit and God wants us to interact in the church and the body of Jesus Christ. If the world wants to know what love looks like, real love, if anybody wants to know what real love looks like, they shouldn't have to look any further than their closest church. 
Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other. Be of the same mind towards one another. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, I love this, verse 18. If it be possible, as much as is within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemies hunger, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We have to be careful how we choose to respond. My son and I, he, he got some of my bad habits. He's very opinionated. I don't know where he got that from. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll see things in the news and, and we'll say things in our home. And, and recently I've come to catch myself saying things and I'm like, that's fine if I feel that way and you know, venting sort of to myself. But if I say those things out in public, they're going to significantly misrepresent my Christ and my Savior. Amen? And so when we turn on the news and we say things in our home, and, the other, and I took the other day to saying, that's, son, you're like me, but we need to be careful. We need to choose our words carefully because when we see the evil in this world, we know that there's only one solution. And we don't want to respond in such a way that prohibits us, prohibits us or prevents us from sharing the solution, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? See, it's not the weapon in a man's hand that's causing the evil and the cruelty and the chaos and the violence we see. It's the wickedness in that person's heart. And only Christ can fix that. Amen. And yet the very same ones who want to talk about dealing with the tool that caused the criminal activity are the same ones who would say that we don't need the church and we need to get rid of Christianity, and we need to stop this nonsense about men needing Jesus. Beloved, all you have to do is be quiet and open your eyes and listen long enough to realize that this world needs something, and so far humanity has yet to come up with the answer on its own. The only thing that has ever worked with any consistency because it is true and because it is ordained by God is when men and women put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and become a child of God and no longer a child of the devil. Amen. And so in this chapter, Paul lists several things that he writes to the Romans. And so I want to give this, we're going to go through this very quickly this morning. He lists several spiritual gifts, and there are others listed. So I want to talk this morning about what the spiritual gifts are not. So we'll talk about a few things this morning. We're going to start with what the spiritual gifts are not. Number one, the spiritual gifts were not, the spiritual gifts are not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are given to some people, different gifts given to different people for different things. The Holy Spirit is not a spiritual gift. He is the source of the spiritual gifts. Amen. And everyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is baptized with the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are given the Holy Spirit the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. The spiritual gifts are not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. And you want to write it down, look up later, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I Actually, I think it's up there. So the spiritual gifts are not the Holy Spirit. Number two, the spiritual gifts are not human talents. Not human talent. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. And I want to read this for us. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Not human talents, not athletics, not intelligence. But those things can be amplified by the Holy Spirit and magnified by spiritual giftedness. A natural communicator can be gifted to communicate biblical truth and a weak communicator can be gifted to otherwise communicate on God's behalf. Moses and Paul were both men who said they don't have the gift of speech. They're not good communicators. And yet God used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, gave him to write the law and record the law. Uh, and, and then Paul, who stuttered and stammered, and Paul, who said, I'm not, a, I'm not an attractive man, I'm not a wise man or an eloquent man, is the man who gave us most of the New Testament and has preached more sermons and changed more lives. And I still love the story of Moses. I love the fact that Moses, when, when God called him at the burning bush and, 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 and he said, Moses, I'm going to use you. I'm gonna, you're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to represent me. You're going to lead the people. And Moses said, I, I can't talk. I stutter. I stammer. I'm not a, you've chosen the wrong guy. And he begs God. And finally God says, I'll let your brother Aaron go. And Aaron will be your mouthpiece. And I'll let Aaron speak through you or you'll speak through Aaron on your behalf. And, and, and Moses said, all right, great, God. That's wonderful. We'll do that. So Aaron goes with Moses. And if you've read the Old testament you know that Aaron didn't utter a word and you couldn't shut Moses up when we quit making excuses to God about what he can and cannot do through us and just let him use us we'll change the course of history amen and you argue with God you can't oh God I can't do that I can't do that and and, and God's whole point is you're right you can't do that but I can do that through you and that's why he gave you a spiritual gift amen not only did he give you a gift, but he probably gave you one that you didn't think that you would ever have. And a lot of times he gives gifts that run contradictory, totally contradictory to our nature before we met Christ. Why? Because, because nothing we do in the church and nothing that God does through us is ever meant to bring us glory, but to bring him glory. Which is why I love the Bible when it says that God chose the weak things to confound the strong, the foolish things to confound the wise. Amen? And so, not the Holy Spirit, not human talents, not offices. They're not offices. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 uh, tells us that God gave gifts, gifted men to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastor teacher. Four different things that he gave them. So we're not talking about the offices. An office is not a gift. But an office is a place where you can use the gift that God has given you. Amen? All right? So being a pastor is not a spiritual gift. The office itself is a gift, the fact that God gave us shepherds, that he, the Bible says that I will give you men who will lead you according to my heart, Jeremiah. I will give men shepherds who will pastor you with wisdom and knowledge according to my heart. That's a gift from God. But the office itself is not the spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is what helps a man carry out that office. And I'll give you an example. One of the gifts that God gives to a pastor or to a preacher is he gives them the gift of prophecy or the gift of the ability to communicate the gospel. And here's what I love you will find that some of the most uneducated, unlearned men, never been to seminary, maybe never even graduated high school, but at some point in their life, they trusted Christ, they were given a Bible, and they started preaching. And this unlearned, uneducated man with no formal degree who outside the pulpit, when you talk to him, can't hardly put a thought together, but when they stand behind a pulpit, they, they, they deliver the word of God with power and authority. 
And we look at that and we go, how is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. God makes it possible. And so make sure you understand the office. Just because you're holding an office doesn't mean, first of all, there are a lot of people holding the office that don't need to be. But it doesn't mean that you have a gift. That's not the gift. That's an incredible responsibility, but that's not the gift. The office isn't the gift. And, and I'll help you out with this quickly. There are no apostles today, but the gift of apostleship is still active. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. Apostles, prophets, are there still prophets today? Prophets who proclaim the word, who tell forth the word, yes. Are there those who predict the word? I want to say this to you very quickly and we'll move on. There are people who say that, well, the gift of prophecy, there are no prophets today. And then there are other people who tell you, I'm a prophet. And, 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 and they, what, everything they say when they mean that is they proclaim the future. They can predict the future. They can prophesy. The Old Testament gives us a really simple uh, a pattern. If somebody says they're a prophet, then you listen to what they predict. And if it comes to pass, then that prophet spoke on God's behalf. But if it doesn't come to pass, he's not a prophet and he's not sent by God. Now, two things in there. Number one, the prophecy has to be something that only that prophet could know. You don't get to stand up and prophesy something that anybody else could learn from reading a book. Amen? All right. And number two, you can prophesy a hundred times and be right 99 times. But if you're wrong that 100th time, according to the Bible, you are not a prophet. You don't, it's, not, it's not two out of three. It's not playing the averages. In the Old Testament, a prophet of God spoke what God said was going to come to pass, and it came to pass 100% of the time. So if there's a man or a woman today, and there are denominations out there, and there are churches out there, and if you go to certain, and you turn on the TV, and you go to the news, and you walk down, and you drive down Atlanta, and you're going to see churches, and they'll have them on their sign, and they don't have pastors, they have an apostle, or they have a prophet, and sometimes you turn on the TV, and they say, prophet so-and-so will be speaking to us today, and apostle so-and-so will speak to us today. Beloved, please be very careful with that. Because we know the devil is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he will do everything he can to corrupt the church and make more confusing and confounding what God wants to keep very simple. So, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher. Those are the offices he gave the church. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fourth thing this morning. Spiritual gifts are not the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We know the works of the flesh are this, but then it says the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, uh, I missed one. Uh, and against these things, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. If you look that up and you read this, and if you're a Bible student, you'll know this. It doesn't say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is all these things. Amen? That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in all those things, but that means that at any given time in your life as a Christian, you're going to manifest that fruit because that is what the uh, fruit of the Spirit is for every Christian. Gifts, you might have one gift, and, and, and you might have another gift, and I'll have a gift, but we'll, we'll be three totally different gifts. But the fruit of the Spirit is for every Christian. In other words, uh, now we've got to turn there. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Because I don't want to miss one. Verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is not a gift of the Spirit. It's not, it's not a spiritual gift. In other words, there's no Christian who can ever say, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't love people because I don't have that spiritual gift. <laughs> well, <laughs> choose your response carefully to that, amen? 
The reality is, if you're a Christian, you are marked by love, period. Now, you may not be as loving as other people, but again, that's going to, deter- that's going to be determined by how long you've been a Christian. Amen? You, you know what's funny? I think we go through a pattern in life where we, we start out loving. When you're a new Christian, you just love everybody and you love everything. And then all of a sudden you've been a Christian for a while and you start to see all these problems and you suddenly it becomes hard to love and you kind of grow up. And, and instead of becoming more loving, we become less loving. And we have to go through a process of growth where the Lord brings us back and teaches us that, that we need to love again. Think about a child when the newborn baby is born. All that baby wants you to do is, is, is hold him, feed him, love him, take care of him. That baby, just, he'll just take all the love he can get and, and, and love him back. Think about, a, think about uh, as, as a child grows up and, and, and you, you're taking care of them and you're showering them with love and blessings and you put a roof over their head. And then at some point that child starts growing up and starts deciding, yeah, and, and you need to give me this and you need to give me this and you need to give me this. And you start questioning your love for that child why did I have children <laughs> and we go through this and, 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 and as a Christian every Christian at some point in our life we're, we're going to love and we should love more we're going to have joy there, there's no Christian should ever be a joyless Christian you're going to have peace you're going to be long-suffering patient you're going to be gentle good you're going to have faith you're going to be meek you're going to have self-control that was the one I forgot temperance self-control against these things there's no law these are not the spiritual gifts this is the fruit of the spirit as you walk with God every day you will manifest these things more in your life than you did the day before amen and today more than ever beloved we need to learn how to walk in the spirit so that we manifest those things that are given to every Christian so those are what the spiritual gifts are not here's the second thing this morning how do we classify the spiritual gifts there's three different ways we classify them number one there's the ministering gifts these are gifts like Apostleship, evangelism, pastoring, teaching, those are what we call the ministering gifts. Um, the ministering gifts are the ones that you use to do the ministry, uh, to, to, to actually interact in the body of Christ and in the community of the world. Uh, those are what we call ministering gifts. They, they express themselves only when you're around other people. All right, and, and they have to do with the leadership in the church. The second classification of gifts is the serving gifts. Serving gifts are gifts like administration, encouragement, etc. A serving gift, especially administration, uh, someone has a gift, and, and, and they, you may never see them out in the front, or you may not see them out forefront that much, but that much. But they're the ones behind the scenes. They're the ones. They're the ones that are running the soundboard and making sure that everything's working. And the sermon in the morning that you, you never look up, they realize there's actually a real person up there punching buttons and making this happen. It's somebody who's in the office and who's helping to make sure that all the records in the church are taken care of, organizing meals, planning things, and, 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 and getting stuff to work together. People who have the gift of administration, they're serving gifts, gifts that, the ones that kind of behind the scenes. And then the third gifts are the gifts we call the sign gifts. These are gifts like tongues, prophecies, and healing. Uh, we don't want to get stuck on that, but depending on what denomination you're in, a lot of churches today don't believe that the sin denominations don't believe the sign gifts are in practice today, okay? Uh, in other words, tongues, prophecies, and healing. If you're going to have someone who has the gift of prophecy, then again, the rule still applies. They have to be right 100% of the time. If you're going to have the gift of healing, then you have to be able to heal everybody. Amen. Can I just go ahead and throw this out there and just take it for what it's worth? If I can't heal you, the problem isn't because you didn't have the faith to believe. The problem is I'm not a healer. Amen? Because if I have the gift of healing, I will heal you. 
and, and, and be careful because I know there's a couple passages where Jesus, when someone went to Jesus and said, heal me, I know you can heal me. He said, I'll heal you if you have the faith. Their immediate response was, I have faith. Well, we already know they have faith because they went to Jesus to get healed. Can I just say to you that I think one of the dumbest things on the face of the earth is for a man who says he has the gift of healing to look somebody in the eye who had the faith to get out of bed, get in a wheelchair, have somebody pull them down the aisle of a church, put them in the front of a healing meeting and look at that person and not be able to tell them that they're healed because they don't have the faith to be healed and yet here they are sitting in a wheelchair with their hands held out saying, heal me. How much more faith do you need? The problem isn't with the faith of the one needing healing. The problem is with the person saying they're a healer is not. They're a charlatan. They're a liar. They're a deceiver. And more people have went to those meetings looking for a so-called healer to do something for them that didn't do it. And when they left, they did not leave going, that man's not a healer. I won't go back to him. They left saying, God is a liar. And they never graced the doors of a church again. Now, you can't tell me that the devil isn't behind that. Amen? You have a gift from God, beloved. You will use it all the time by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and the devil will do everything he can to corrupt that. Amen? Now, I didn't mean to get ugly, but I don't think I'm getting ugly at a Christian. Because I'll get ugly with the devil. Amen? And, 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 and if you're going to tell me that you have a gift and you're going to tell me that you're anointed by God to do something, then, then, then you better be able to do it. Otherwise, you're a liar or you're deceived. And the damage that's being done by people who say they have some of these gifts and they cannot manifest those gifts 100% of the time in a way that honors and glorifies God is either a liar or they're deceived themselves. And I think that I don't know which one is worse. But the sign gifts, and I say all that because, please listen to me, I know for a fact God still heals. There are people in this room, you've prayed and you've seen God heal you from something. You have friends and family members that you know that God, you, you, you might have even been on death's doorstep. They might have been right there. You're thinking, this is it. God's going to call them home. And then a miracle. They're healed. And now they're, they're still with us today. They're still with you today. They're in church and they're here. God still heals. Amen. Prophecy, there's two meanings of that word, preaching the word, not just proclaiming the future. The gift of prophecy doesn't mean I have to tell the future. The gift of prophecy means you'll be able to preach the truth. Amen. Tongues, well, we don't want to get stuck on that one because we're Baptists. I know people who speak in tongues. When I was younger, in my early days, in my foolish, young, immature Christian days of Christian faith, if somebody told me that they spoke in tongues, I would tell them they are demon-possessed. Because that's what I was taught when I started reading my Bible. And then I started finding out that being a child of God has to do with putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And then I had a real problem. Because I don't believe that a devil or the demons, I don't believe that a Christian can be possessed. It's not possible for the Holy Spirit and a demon to inhabit the same. If you're born a God, if you're born again and you're a child of God, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You belong to him and him alone. And the devil and no demon can ever get inside of a child of God. Now, I believe that. 
So if somebody looks at me and they tells me and they tell me that, that they've trusted Christ their Savior, they're a child of God, they know, and then they can speak in tongues, well, I have a problem now. If I used to think that they were demon-possessed, but they're telling me they're a Christian, they're telling me they're my brother, my sister in Christ. And right now, we're so confused over this in the church today that you have prominent leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention who, when it came out that they said they had a prayer language or they spoke in tongues, that they were met with so much division and so much reproach and so much confusion and so much hatred that they actually had to step down from their positions of leadership. And instead of just saying, okay, we're going to love you, we're going to pray for you, that's what you say, that, that's you, that, that's, that's between you and God. Can I tell you that I know missionaries, I know missionaries who went onto the field and were sharing the gospel with native tribes and indigenous peoples and they were sharing the gospel with them and what they thought they were sharing the gospel with someone through a translator or with someone who spoke their language only to find out later that neither one of them spoke the other person's language but they both heard each other clearly. So how do you answer that? We'll say this and we're going to move on. And you have to love me because I already told you it's in the Bible. <laughs> if God wants to use the gift of tongues today. He's God and he can do whatever he wants to. And I'm not going to be the one to say, no, you can't. In fact, I can tell you right now, when I, I just came back from Honduras, you know, in July, when the mission trip, and we're going back next June, actually going back before that to teach in the seminary. I can tell you right now, every mission trip, when I went to Moldova, when I went to Venezuela, one of the most frustrating things in the world to me was not being able to speak the language. And I can tell you right now, if God had given me the gift of tongues, I would not have argued with him for one second. If I could have been able to communicate with those people the gospel and the beauty of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a way that they could hear me and understand me. So we better be careful when we talk about these gifts and whether or not God can still use them today. Does God still heal? Absolutely. Can God cause someone to speak in a different language? Absolutely. Can God raise up a prophet today? Absolutely. But the commands and the dictates of Scripture haven't changed. If that's going to happen, it's going to happen in accordance with the word of God. And here's, and I'm going to close with this. The Bible says when that happens, it will be done. It will be done decently and in order. Not in chaos and not in confusion. Amen? So the, the, this is what the spiritual gifts are not. And, and so I say all that, and, and I think, I don't know if I gave him this to put up there. Lifeway has a list of spiritual gifts. Lifeway actually put up 16, came up with about 16 different spiritual gifts. Um, I added a few to them. I added to the list. I, added, I did add back into the list healing, miracles, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. But you have to carefully explain those and understand these to avoid potentially unnecessary controversies in the church. We get, hook up, hook we get hung up on these things. But those are 16 things that Lifeway says. Depending on what list, what book you read, what verse of the Bible, what version you read. Uh, I read uh, one denomination actually has a list of 28 spiritual gifts. But some of those gifts were kind of the same thing, just worded differently. But this is a good list. This is a good core list. When you look at that list, and I hope you can see it and read it. And I'm going to read them to you again very quickly. Leadership, administration, teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, discernment, exhortation, shepherding, 
faith, evangelism, apostleship, service and helps, mercy, giving, and hospitality. When you look at that list of 16, there should be one thing that immediately resonates in your mind. And you go, you know, that's me. I'm good. That's what I like to do. And if you don't do that, then the, one of the things you need to do now, sooner than later, is you need to get on your knees before God and you need to ask God to show you by the Holy Spirit what gift he has given you. Because until you know your gift, you cannot be used by God the way that he wants to use you in this church. And we're going to give you that opportunity. And come, you're going to hear about that. Keep an eye out. You'll hear about it soon. We're going to have a day, and we're going to do the spiritual gifts inventory. And for those of you that have already done it, you know your gift, you can do it again, because here's what you're going to find out. As you use your gifts and exercise your gifts, you not only become more confident in your gift, but a gift that you once had was a, was a dominant gift or maybe a minor gift because you've used it, that's now become your dominant gift. You'll learn about that later. How do I help my church grow? Remember, know your gifts. Your gifts. Know your responsibilities. Look for opportunities to use your gifts and then go to work. Amen? Now, I'm going to give you this quote, and I think we got this to put up there. Everyone, I don't remember how I said it. <laughs> Everyone is a minister. Everyone is a servant. Say, I don't have the gift of ministry. No, but you are a minister. Well, I don't have the gift of service. I'm not a good servant. No, but you are a servant. Which is why the Holy Spirit, it is so important that we rely upon the Holy Spirit to put us in a place of service, in a place of ministry, where we can have confidence in Him and who God is and what God has done for us so that when we're serving, we know that it's God and it's not us. Amen? Let me give it to you this way and then I'll close. And I wrote this down in my notes. The church cannot minister and serve fully unless everyone is exercising their gift. You need to know your gift. And you need to know, do you realize the one, one of the things that kills more churches? The reason why there's gossip in the church, there's idleness in the church, the reason why there's division in the church is you've got people who aren't using their gifts because either they don't know what they are or because they're in rebellion for whatever reason. It's people sitting in the church who don't know their gifts criticizing and judging people who are using the gifts that God gave them. You know, you know what I do when, when, and, and, and what I do as a pastor, when, and I've learned this early in my ministry, when somebody would come to me and say, Brother, Pastor Ian, we need to talk. You know, phrase every pastor loves to hear. Pastor Ian, we need to talk. All right, talk, I'm listening. I got a problem in the church. I got a problem right now, but go ahead. And then they, they'll tell me, this is what's happening, so-and-so, okay, that's great. And, and, well, tell me again, what do you do in the church? What? What do you, what do you do in the, what committee are you on? Well, I'm not on any committees. Oh, okay. Um, um, do, do, do you serve, do you do anything in church? No, I don't, do, I'm just a church member. You're not a very good one, not out loud, amen. Wouldn't say that out loud, amen. I can't tell you how many people I've looked at and said, my dear brother, my dear sister, I understand that you're frustrated with the way something is being done in the church, but it's being done by people who are trying to serve the best that God has given them the ability to serve. I said, I will hear your concern when you sit down with me and we find out where God wants you to be serving in the church. Amen? Because you know what you're going to find out? When you get busy using your gift in the way that God wants you to use it, you're going to have problems enough of your own trying to exercise your own gift with the devil fighting against you. You ain't going to have time to criticize anybody else. Amen? 
You want to know to stop so much of the gossip and the division in the church is to get everybody in the church busy using their gift. Amen? Then the conversation won't be, it won't be, I don't like the way you're doing that on your committee. I don't like the way you're doing your on your committee. The conversation will be, man, the devil is all over me. Man, he's all over me. We need to pray. Yeah, let's pray. And then we pray for each other, and the devil goes, man, I messed that one up. Because now instead of the church fighting, he's got the church praying. Amen? That's good, right? See, y'all thought when I closed that I was done. I'm just getting started. <laughs> no, we're done. We're done. Beloved, I, I, I said all this, and I can't stress this enough. It is so important that you know your gift and your place in the body of Christ. Because if you don't, not only are you robbing yourself of an incredible blessing, but you are putting yourself in a position to be used by the devil in a way that I know you don't want to be used. Amen? I can honestly say, with true Christians, I've never met a Christian who, who's come up to me and said, Brother Ian, I've been struggling. I've really been struggling. What are you struggling with? I'm just trying to find a way for the devil to use me more than he's been using me. <laughs> I've never had that happen. But when we become idle and when we become weak in our faith and we, and we allow ourselves to get away from what God's called us to do, then the devil can use us and he will use us. And I know how to put an end to that. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus, first as your Savior, and number two, for those of you who are here, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir this morning, amen? For those of us that know Christ, surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And yes, it's okay to be a Baptist and trust in the Holy Spirit, amen? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes?